Chapter Seventeen of the Old Maids Club by Israel Zangwill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seventeen: A Musical Bar. When Turple the Magnificent, looking uneasy, brought up Frank Maddox's card, Lily uttered a cry of surprise and pleasure. Frank Maddox was a magic name to her, as to all the elect of the world of sweetness and light after a moment of nervous anxiety lest it should not be the frank maddox her fears were dispelled by the entry of the great authority on art and music whose face was familiar to her from frontispiece portraits few critics possessed such charms of style and feature as frank maddox who had a delicious retroussé nose a dainty rosebud mouth blue eyes and a wealth of golden hair lily's best hopes were confirmed the famous critic wished to become an old maid the president and the new and promising candidate had a delightful chat over a cup of tea and the prospects of the club the two girls speedily became friends but if you join us hadn't you better go back to your maiden name inquired lily perhaps so said frank maddox thoughtfully my pen name does sound odd under the peculiar circumstances on the other hand to revert to laura sprague now might be indiscreet people would couple my name with frank maddox's you know the way of the world the gossips get their facts so distorted and i couldn't even deny the connection but of course you have had your romance asked lily you know one romance per head is our charge for admission oh yes i have had my romance in three volumes shall i tell it you if you please listen then volume the first frank maddox is in her study outside the sun is setting in furrows of gold-laced sagging storm clouds done and oh please i always skip that laughed lily i know that two lovers cannot walk in a lane without the author seeing the sunset which is the last thing in the world the lovers see but when the sky begins to look black i always begin to skip forgive me i didn't mean to do it remember i'm an habitual art critic i thought i was describing a harmony of whistlers or a movement from a sonata it shall not occur again to the heroine enter the hero shabby close-cropped pale their eyes meet he is thunderstruck to find the heroine a woman blushes stammers and offers to go away struck by something of innate refinement in his manner she presses him to avow the object of his visit at last in dignified language infinitely touching in its reticence he confesses he called on mr frank maddox the writer he admires so much to ask a little pecuniary help he is starving original isn't it to have your hero hungry in the first chapter he speaks vaguely of having ambitions which unless he goes under in the struggle for existence may some day be realized there are so many men in london like that however the heroine is moved by his destitute condition and sitting down to her desk she writes out a note folds it up and gives it to him there she says there's a prescription against starvation but how am i to take it he asked it must be taken before breakfast the first thing in the morning she replied to the editor of the moon give him the note he will change it for you don't mention my name 
he thanked me and withdrew and what was in the note asked lily curiously i can't quite remember but something of this sort the numerous admirers of frank maddox will be gratified to hear that she has in the press a volume of essays on the part played by color blindness in the symphonic movements of the time the great critic is still in town but leaves for torquay next tuesday for that the editor of the moon gave him half a crown do you call that charity said lily astonished certainly charity begins at home do many people give charity except to advertise themselves philanthropy by paragraph is a perquisite of fame why i have a pensioner who comes in for all my academ paragraphs that moon part saved our hero from starvation years afterwards i learnt he had frittered away twopence in having his hair cut it seems strange for a starving man to get his hair cut said lily not when you know the cause replied frank maddox it was his way of disguising himself and this brings me to volume two the years pass once again i am in my study there is a breath of wind among the elms in the front garden and the sky is strewn with vaporous sprays of apple blossom i beg your pardon re-enter the hero spruce frock-coated dignified he recalls himself to my memory but i remember him only too well he tells me that my half-crown saved him at the turning point of his career that he has now achieved fame and gold that he loves my writing more passionately than ever and that he has come to ask me to crown his life the whole thing is so romantic that i am about to whisper yes when an instinct of common sense comes to my aid and my half-open lips murmur instead but the name you sent up horace paul it is not known to me you say you have won fame i at least have never heard of you of course not he replies how should you if i were horace paul you would not marry me just as i should certainly not marry you if you were ford maddox but what of paul horace paul horace cried lily the great composer that is just what i exclaimed and my hero answers the composer great or little none but a few intimates connect me with him the change of name is too simple i always had a longing call it morbid if you will for obscurity in the midst of renown i have weekly harvests of hair to escape any suspicion of musical attainments but you and i dearest think of what our life will be enriched by our common love of the noblest of the arts outside the marigolds nod to the violets the sapphire excuse me i mean to say thus he rambled on growing in enthusiasm with every ardent phrase the while a deadly coldness was fastening around my heart for i felt that it could not be and why inquired lily in astonishment it seems one of the marriages made in heaven i dared not tell him why and i can only tell you on condition you promise to keep my secret i promise listen whispered the great critic i know nothing about music or art and i was afraid he would find me out lily fell back in her chair white and trembling another idol shivered but how she gasped there then don't take on so 
said the great critic kindly i did not think you too were such an admirer of mine else i might have spared you the shock you ask how it is done well i didn't set out to criticize i can at least plead that in extenuation my nature is not wilfully perverse there was a time when i was as pure and above criticism as yourself she paused and furtively wiped away a tear then resumed more calmly i drifted into it for years i toiled on without ever a thought of musical and art criticism sullying my maiden meditations my downfall was gradual in early maidenhood i earned my living as a typewriter i had always had literary yearnings but the hard facts of life allowed me only this rough approximation to my ideal accident brought excellent literature to my machine and it required all my native honesty not to steal the plots of the novelists and the good things of the playwrights the latter was the harder temptation to resist for when the play was good enough to be worth stealing from i knew it would never be produced and my crime never discovered still in spite of my honesty i benefited indirectly by my typewriting for contact with so much admirable work fostered the graceful literary style which between you and me is my only merit in time i plucked up courage to ask one of my clients a journalist if he would put some newspaper work in my way what can you do he asked in surprise anything i replied with maiden honesty i see that's your special line he said musingly unfortunately we are full up in that department you see every one turns his hand to that it's like schoolmastering the first thing people think of it's a pity you are a girl because the way to journalistic distinction lies through the position of office boy office girl sounds strange i doubt whether they would have you except on a free-thought organ our office boy has to sweep out the office and review the novels else you might commence humbly as a critic of literature it isn't a bad post either for he supplements his income by picking rejected matter out of the waste paper basket and surreptitiously lodging it in the printer's copy pigeonhole his income in fees from journalistic aspirants must be considerable yes had you been a boy you might have made a pretty good thing out of literature then there is no chance at all for me on your paper i inquired desperately none he said sadly our editor is an awful old fogey he is vehemently opposed to the work of outsiders and if you were to send him his own leaders in envelopes he would say they were rot for once he would be a just critic you see therefore what your own chance is even i who have been on the staff for years couldn't do anything to help you no i am afraid there is no hope for you unless you approach our office boy i thanked him warmly for his advice and encouragement and within a fortnight an article of mine appeared in the paper it was called the manuscripts of authors and revealed in a refined and ladylike way the secrets of the chirographic characteristics of the manuscripts i had to typewrite my friend said i was exceedingly practical exceedingly practical agreed lily with a suspicion of a sneer because most amateur journalists write about abstract principles whereas i had sliced out for the public a bit of concrete fact 
and the great heart of the people went out to hear the details of the way brown wrote his books jones his jokes and robinson his recitations the article made a hit and annoyed the authors very much so i should think said lily didn't they withdraw their custom from you instanter why they didn't know it was i only my journalistic friend knew and he was too much of a gentleman to give away my secret i wrote to the editor under the name of frank maddox thanking him for having inserted my article and the editor said to my friend egad i fancy i've made a discovery there why if i were to pay any attention to your idea of keeping strictly to the old grooves the paper would stagnate my boy simply stagnate the editor was right for my friend assured me the paper would have died long before if the office-boy had not condescended to edit it anyhow it was to that office-boy i owed my introduction to literature the editor was very proud of having discovered me and being instilled in his good graces i passed rapidly into dramatic criticism and was even allowed to understudy the office-boy as literary reviewer he could not stomach historical novels and handed over to me all works with pronouns in the second person gradually i rose to higher things but it was not until i had been musical and art critic for over eighteen months that the editor learnt that the writer whose virile style he had often dilated upon to my friend was a woman and what did he do when he learnt it asked lily he swore profane man cried lily that he loved me me whom he had never seen of course i declined him with thanks happily there was a valid excuse because he had written his communication on both sides of the paper but even this technical touch did not mollify him and he replied that my failure to appreciate him showed i could no longer be trusted as a critic fortunately my work had been signed my fame was established i collected my articles into a book and joined another paper but you haven't yet told me how it is done oh that is the least you see to be a critic it is not essential to know anything you must simply be able to write to be a great critic you must simply be able to write well in my omniscience or catholic ignorance i naturally looked about for the subject on which i could most profitably employ my gift of style with the least chance of being found out a moment's consideration will convince you that the most difficult branches of criticism are the easiest of musical and artistic matters not one person in a thousand understands aught but the rudiments here then is the field in which the critical ignoramus may expatiate at large with the minimum danger of discovery nay with no scintilla of danger for the subject matter is so obscure and abstruse that the grossest of errors may put on a bold face and parade as a profundity or driven to bay proclaim itself a paradox only say what you have not got to say authoritatively and well and the world shall fall down and worship you the place of art in religion has undergone a peculiar historical development first men worshipped the object of art then they worshipped the artist and nowadays they worship the art critic it is true said lily reflectively 
this age has witnessed the apotheosis of the art critic and of all critics and yet what can be more evident than that the art of criticism was never in such a critical condition nobody asks to see the critic's credentials he is taken at his own valuation there ought to be an examination to protect the public even schoolmasters are now required to have certificates while those who pretend to train the larger mind in the way it should think are left to work their mischief uncontrolled no dramatic critic should be allowed to practice without an elementary knowledge of human life law shakespeare and french the musical critic should be required to be able to perform on some one instrument other than his own trumpet to distinguish tune from tonality to construe the regular sonata to comprehend the plot of il trovatore and to understand the motives of wagner the art critic should be able to discriminate between a pastel and a water-colour an impressionist drawing and a rough sketch to know the dutch school from the italian and the female figure from the male to translate the morbidesa and chiascuro and failing this to be aware of the existence and uses of a vanishing point a doctor's certificate should also be produced to testify that the examinee is in possession of all the normal faculties deafness blindness and color blindness being regarded as disqualifications and no one should be allowed to practice unless he enjoyed a character for common honesty supplemented by a testimonial from a clergyman for although art is non-moral the critic should be moral this would be merely the passman stage there could always be examinations in honors for the graduates once the art critics were educated the progress of the public would be rapid they would no longer be ready to admire the canvases of michelangelo who as i learnt the other day for the first time painted frescoes nor would they prefer him as unhesitatingly as they do now to buonarotti which is his surname nor would they imagine raphael's cartoons appeared in punchinello all these mistakes i have myself made though no one discovered them while in the realm of music no one has more misrepresented the masters more discouraged the overtures of young composers but i still do not understand how it is done urged lily you shall have my formula in a nutshell i had to be a musical critic and an art critic i was ignorant of music and knew nothing of art but i was a dab at language when i was talking of music i used the nomenclature of art i spoke of light and shade color and form delicacy of outline depth and atmosphere perspective foreground and background nocturnes and harmonies in blue i analyzed symphonies pictorially and explained what i saw defiling before me as the music swept on sunsets and belvedere towers swarthy paynims on shetland ponies cypress plumes and fra angelico's cherubs lumps of green clay and delicate pillared loggias fennel tufts and rococo and scarlet anemones and over all the trail of the serpent thus i created an epoch in musical criticism on the other hand when i had to deal with art i was careful to eschew every suggestion of the visual vocabulary and to confine myself to musical phrases 
in talking of pictures i dwelt upon their counterpoint and their orchestration their changes of key and the evolution of their ideas their piano and forte passages and their bars of rest their allegro and diminuendo aspects their suspensions on the dominant i spoke of them as symphonies and sonatas and masses said one was too staccato and another too full of consecutive sevenths and a third in need of transposition to the minor thus i created an epoch in art criticism in both departments the vague and shifting terms i introduced enabled me to evade mistakes and avoid detection while the creation of two epochs gave me the very first place in contemporary criticism there is nothing in which i would not undertake to create an epoch i do not say i have always been happy and it has been a source of constant regret to me that i had not even learnt to play the piano when a girl and that unplayed music still remained to me little black dots and so you did not dare to marry the composer no nor tell him why volume three i said i admired him so much that i wanted to go on devoting critical essays to him and my praises would be discounted by the public if i were his wife was it not imprudent for him to alienate the leading critic by marrying her rather would i sacrifice myself and continue to criticize him but i love him and it is for his sake i would become an old maid i would rather you didn't said lily her face still white i have found so much inspiration in your books that i could not bear to be daily reminded i ought not to have found it poor president the lessons of experience were hard the club taught her much she were happier without that day lord silverdale appropriately intoned with banjo obligato a patter song which he pretended to have written at the academy whence he had just come with the conventional splitting headache after the academy a jingle not by alfred jingle brain a-whirling pavement twirling cranium aching almost baking mind a muddle puddle fuddle million pictures million mixtures great and small uns browns and latins sky and wallens short and tall uns pseudo-classic for alas sic transit gloria sub victoria landscape figure white or nigger steely etchings inky sketchings genre portrait not one caught trait eke historic king's plethoric realistic prize-fight fistic entozoic nude heroic coarse poetic homiletic still life flowers tropic bowers pure domestic making breast tick with emotion endless ocean glaze or scrumble jays and jumble varnish mastic sculpture plastic canvas paper oh for taper oil and water oh for slaughter children cattle buses battle seamen satyrs lions waiters nymphs and peasants peers and pheasants dogs and flunkeys gods and monkeys half-dressed ladies views of hades phyllis tripping seas and shipping hearth and meadow brooks and bread dough doves and dreamers stars and steamers saucepans blossoms rags opossums 
tramway cloudland wild and ploughed land gents and mountains clocks and fountains pan and pansy these of fancy have possession in procession never ending ever blending all a flitter and a glitter ever prancing ever dancing ever whirling ever curling ever swirling ever twirling ever bobbing ever throbbing ho some brandy is it handy air seems tainting i am fainting hang all no don't hang all painting End of chapter 17